You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. And as you're turning there, let me just start by saying, man, it is good to be with you this morning. Uh, In the words of the Apostle Paul, this church, you, Redeemer Round Rock, have become very dear to my heart. I'm so thankful for all that you've done for me and and, and my family and our plants. And most of you probably don't know know this, but I still come over and hang out in Round Rock twice a week, which is really a great alternative to my current office situation that's currently in our laundry room. That's what church planning is all about. Uh, but I do, I enjoy the, the fellowship. You guys share a lot of resources with me, like, like books, a lot of copy paper, and a lot of coffee and snacks. Thank you, Kelsey, for the snacks. And the, and the, I feel like a college kid who comes home uh, just, you know, like through the week just to kind of get his laundry done and stuff, hang out a little bit, take what I can and run, right? Get back out. I'm just kidding. But may the Lord bless you guys for your generosity. And so as you're turning to Matthew chapter 2, let me... Let me just start by giving you guys just a a quick update as to the progress of our church. As as Josh mentioned, I was a church planning resident here at Round Rock for a year, and and we planted Redeemer Hutto March 27th of 2022, and and so that makes us a little over 20 months old, and we started with 10 committed families, some of which came from this church that made up our core team, and I'm excited to share with you that we are now close to 30 partnering families at our church. Yeah, um, um, yeah, that's exciting. We should praise God for that, right? Um, it's caused a, like a, a problem. We've just bought a bigger trailer. We've outgrown our trailer. We're a portable church. We set up at the YMCA, uh, and we're in the process. We're going to need to buy probably 50 more chairs in, in the foreseeable future, and so we're super excited about that. Uh, but that's not all. Since the launch, we've grown to five GCs. We've celebrated 11 people 11 brothers and sisters professing faith in Jesus and following through in baptism, one of those being a 66-year-old grandfather. And lastly, we've had the privilege of dedicating nine babies because we know how to multiply in more than one ways. Speaking of babies, as we step into this fourth week of Advent, all of our attention, all of our focus has been on baby Jesus. And, and, and we're going to see more of these ripple effects of what the birth of Jesus means, not only for us, but for the, the people of the region of Jerusalem, which has kind of been the area of focus for you guys, but really for the whole world. And so if you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand with me as I read our text this morning. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This church is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
Father, uh, once again, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. God, we thank you for the gospel. God, help us see that, as Josh alluded to. Let us, let us see that, hear that. Let our hearts receive the good news of, of the arrival of our King. And God, we thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your presence, by your spirit this morning. It's in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. And so as we step into week four of Advent, we want to continue with this, this pattern that you guys uh, have, been, have been working through of, of digging in and really looking at specific characters or, or, or people in the scriptures and really see how, see how God is, is using them and how they respond to this, this news of Jesus' birth. Now, although we're going to keep the same structure or the same format or pattern in how we approach the text, I do want you to see the types of relationships that's what's going to be really different this morning. And what I mean by this is in the first three weeks, you guys have heard of real stories about real people who have all sort, uh, all sort of, or excuse me, all, excuse me, start over. You've heard real stories about real people who have some sort of partnership and their commitment to God. It, it's a lot like Redeemer Round Rock and, and Redeemer Hutto. You guys, we share the same doctrines, we share the, the same core values, and therefore we, we share the same, same convictions in seeing the gospel multiply all throughout our region, all the way to the ends of the earth. And so these first three weeks have, have given testimony to people who are not only committed to God's plan of salvation, but are also committed to partnering with other like-minded people who both love and fear God. And so a few examples of this include Zachariah and Elizabeth, everyday, ordinary people, this, this married couple, their, their partnership comes in their covenant of marriage, and they're, they're, we're told that they were a little bit older in life. And after a, a visit from Angel Gabriel, despite their age, they're told that God had extraordinary plans and purpose, purposes for them and their soon-to-be son. Uh, the next couple that you guys looked at was this younger couple, Mary and Joseph. And, and, and this couple, was um, their partnership was found in this engagement, the process of getting married as they were all in love and stuff. They, they too were gifted with this surprise visit from the angel Gabriel and told that they would be expecting a son as well. Now this news for this, this young family was probably a little unsettling, might have been a little bit kind of weird, confusing, because all of it was just impossible. But what was great about their story is rather than responding in fear, they both responded in faith. Again, them partnering together, both committed to God's plans and purposes for their lives. And then last week, you guys learned about Simeon and Anna, who were not a couple, but their partnership was more found in, 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 in that of work. They were, they were co-workers, both deeply devoted to seeing God's plans of salvation come to life. Again, real people, real life stuff, all three sets of people in partnership together, all committed to the team of God. Now for our time today, in regards to God's plans for salvation, today's going to be kind of drastically different. Of course, the, our two main areas of focus are the characters we're going to look at. They're going to have some similarities but really, it's, it's their responses to the news of this birth that's really going to put them on two different sides of the spectrum. And so our text starts by putting us in a very specific time and place in history. God would in, ensure uh, in, in his sovereignty, he would ensure the fulfillment of this prophecy through a Roman census that would require Joseph and his pregnant wife Mary to travel to Bethlehem. 
And there, in, in the most humblest of circumstances, Mary gives birth to the one who would one day rule the world. Now, this miraculous birth brings Mary and Joseph some unexpected guests with some unexpected gifts, but it's also going to bring some unexpected dangers into the lives of these young parents and their new son. So look with me in verse 2. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And so we start with what Scripture says, wise men who are, are traveling from the east in search of this, this new king. Now, the first thing that pops off the pages for me is, is what makes these guys so special, or, or really, what makes these guys so wise? And so the Greek term for, for these wise men is magi. They were, they were astrologers, students of, of the heavenly bodies, like, like the sky and the space, but that's not all they were known for. They, they participated in, in multiple types of, of pagan practices that included dream interpretation, the pursuit of wisdom, magic, and, and they're even known for studying all sorts of sacred writings, which is probably how they would have had some sort of idea of the significance of this new star that God has just placed in the sky. Now, here's the deal. Whatever religious or, or pagan practices they'd engaged in prior to this new star that's now popped up on their radar, their first response is to travel and worship the person to whom the cosmos have just proclaimed. Now, in their traveling itinerary, it, it, it's, it's going to be nothing like what, what our itineraries look like for these upcoming travel plans that some of us may have in Christmas, their plans, their travel plans would have taken weeks to walk or, or ride a camel through some like rigorous terrain, roughly a thousand miles to get where they're at in this moment, which is the holy city of Jerusalem, right at the throne of King Herod. Which brings us to our next person of interest, King Herod. Now, King Herod is a, a pretentious character as he answers to the title of Herod the Great. And Herod's rule and reign was under Roman authority as he was appointed king of the Jews. Notice the connection there in verse 2. The Magi were looking for the king of the Jews. Herod was this entrepreneurial, uh, he had this entrepreneurial spirit. He was, he was considered this master build, builder who played this massive role in refurbishing and, and really expanding the temple in Jerusalem for the Jews. But he's also known for many other projects around his community, such as theaters, palaces, cities, and, and even fortresses. Herod was a money man, like all kings are. He was financing stru structures such as pagan temples all throughout the Roman Empire. And so far, like, like if, if we were just to kind of like base like a, like a character evaluation for King Herod, like so far, he, he doesn't seem like too bad of a guy. I mean, other than the whole like pagan idol worship thing, which is totally offensive to our God, like other than that, like he seems to be doing a lot of good for the community, but you see, something that I feel is really important to know about King Herod's story is having some sort of understanding of where he came from. You see, I love sitting around the table playing games with my in-laws after, after a meal because I feel like listening, listening to their words, watching their, their movements or their mannerisms, I feel like I get these small glimpses into the home that my wife grew up in. You see, every time that, that, that we hang out, I learn a little bit more of, of where she came from, who she is, and, and what makes her who she is right, like the person she is right now. 
You see, Herod was an idolmate, which means he was related to the Edomites. Now, to find more about like who the Edomites are or their origin of story, you'd have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. You'd have to go look at the, the brothers uh, Esau and Jacob. Now, again, what's important about these brothers is that Jesus comes from the lineage of Jacob. You have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jesus comes from the same lineage. Whereas on the other side, you have Esau, which come from the, uh, the Edomites come from Esau, and then you have the Idolmites. And so two different lineages, two different sets of families. Now, why this is important is that the Edomites have this dark history in, in participating in the destruction and the plundering of the temple of Jerusalem. They joined Babylon when they, when they came in. But what's crazier about the Edomites, or this, this lineage that, that, that was started with Esau, is, is that, that they've carried this, this dangerous posture that they felt as though that they were untouchable as it pertains to God. And so not only did Esau carry that posture, or the Edomites, but so did the Idolmeans. And so, like, like with this sort of arrogance in mind, King Herod is... is is really responsible for having just tons of people murdered. Uh, some of those people that, that he had murdered include his own relatives, many of his own sons, and, and he's even responsible for killing his own wife. So he was a pretty wicked man. And now we have God using the Magi, these wise men, traveling to this, this, this unfamiliar area to make this announcement, really to this, like, this appointed lunatic that the real king of the Jews has arrived. And how they respond, again, it's, it's, it's going to put them on two different ends of the spectrum. Verse 3 says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with them. And assembling this, this team of people, all the chief priests and the scribes, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And so as one could expect, this, this is troubling news for our king because somebody is, is contending for his kingdom. He had constructed all of these projects because he wanted, this, 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 he wanted to be remembered. He wanted to leave this legacy. He wanted eternal glory, but now someone's coming for his kingdom. But this isn't just anyone, though. It's like you guys have been learning these past three weeks. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. And so up to this point, what we're seeing is this new rivalry rise up, a new contender for the crown, a cross-town showdown of, of sorts. And in one corner, we have King Herod, who's this arrogant, oppressive, like, lunatic. And in the other corner, we have this, uh, this, this young child, no taller than two feet, less than 30 pounds, born in a manger because there was no room in the end, Jesus Christ. So again, this news, it's, it's putting... King Herod, just a, a little on edge. And so he responds by calling this team of people together to kind of help them understand, help them process this information about the coming Christ. In verse 5, he says, uh, they told them about the birth of Christ in Bethlehem of Judea, which, guys, is about six miles south of Jerusalem, six miles away from where they're currently at. And it says, for so it was written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who, will, ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. You see, the spiritual leaders point Herod and, and they point us to the prophet 
Micah. Now, Micah was a, a minor prophet. He's number six of the 12 who lived in the small town of Morsheth, which is just west of Bethlehem in the southern kingdom of Judah. And he lived during the same time as, time as a, a more well-known prophet. Maybe you've heard of Isaiah. Now, some history here, the northern and southern kingdoms, they'd, they'd split long before this moment because both of them had been violating their covenant with God of Israel. And now Micah's job was to, to warn them that God was going to allow the Assyrians to come in and invade the north and, and just take them out, take them into exile. But after that happens, a much bigger, a much more powerful empire called the Babylonians would come in next and bring even more destruction. And not only take over the Assyrians, but they were going to take Judah there in the south into exile. Now remember the connection here. The Edomites, right from Esau... They were a part of this plundering. They partnered with the Babylonians. And so Micah's role was to speak on God's behalf to accuse Israel of this, really this idolatry or this sin. Or as he puts it in Micah 3.8, he says, I am filled with power. I am filled with the spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to all of Israel his sin. You see, like Isaiah, Micah accuses and warns of God's impending judgment on Israel. But he doesn't stop there. He also shares this message of hope. This is what we're looking at in verse 6. It's a hope of a coming ruler from the city of Bethlehem to shepherd God's people. Well, guess what? That day is here. That day has arrived. It's, it's upon King Herod. It's upon these spiritual leaders. It's upon the nation of Israel and guys, it's upon the world. And so how will this ruthless king respond? Well, you see, his, his initial response is to have this, this side conversation, or, or really it's, it's more of a, an interrogation to kind of get the scoop from these wise men. Like, when exactly did this star appear? Like, is, 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 is this kid, is he already in Bethlehem? Like, can you, can you help me find him, you know, so that I can come and worship him? Which is translated, like, so I can take him out? Oh, King Herod, you, like the serpent, with your manipulative motives, are so quick to whisper lies of deception. You're not ahead of the creator of the cosmos. So quit trying to get all this information out of these wise men and trying to stop the arrival of this new king, the real king of the Jews, that was born in your backyard. You see, what he's not processing is, this is no ordinary person. This is the promised Messiah. This is who everybody's been waiting for, longing for. This is the incarnate Christ, the, the, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. Guys, this little infant is not just the king of kings, but he's also known as the Lord of lords. He's the alpha, the omega, the beginning in the end, this is not just the savior of the Jews, but he is going to be the savior of the world. And poor Herod, <laughs> poor Herod, you, you, you just can't stop what God has willed into action. Church, do you ever feel like you wish you had like more control than you really do? Things would look a little different in our lives, right? In our kingdoms, they would look a little different. Again, what's crazy, the arrogance. Think about like where he come from. Think about some of the, his, his backstory, the, the arrogance here. Herod doesn't, he doesn't stop trying. He tells him, he says, go to Bethlehem. 
Search diligently for the child. Which brings us to verse 9. And so after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the, the star that they had seen, when it, it rose, it went before them until it came to rest over a place where the child was. And when they saw the star, the wise men rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And it says, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. They fell down and they worshipped him. And then opening up their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And so these wise, and remember, these are pagan men. They, they head to Bethlehem under the king's orders. They knock on the door. And when they step into the home, when they step into the presence of true royalty, the real king of the Jews, it causes them to respond in just joyful worship. Because they couldn't, they couldn't deny the divine. They couldn't ignore this divine nature that filled the house. And guys, this, this isn't just another cute baby that they're, they're looking at through the nursery window. This is God in the flesh. The significance of this moment, it, it tells us so much about our creator and just how much he loves us. Like, hear that this morning, church family. God loves you. See that. Hear that. Receive. God loves you. And this is, this is really the tension that I think I want to I draw our attentions to this morning. You see, our stories, they're, they're really not too far off from either the Magi or, or King Herod. Like, maybe you don't, you don't care about astrology or, or space or, or this pursuit of wisdom, but I think if we're all honest, we're all in search of something. Like, whether it's true happiness like we're, we're in search of like purpose in the things that we do or, or, or maybe the things that we don't do. Or simply we're just trying to like find out the meaning of life, right? What's the meaning of life for me? I mean, this is what the Magi have been seeking this whole time. This is why they, they, they blew or they went wherever the wind blew. Sorry about that, my. I'm supposed to be turning our lights on right now. <laughs> or resetting them. If not, they go out at the YMCA. But really, that's, that's the, the Magi, that's what they've been seeking. They've been seeking purpose in life. Or, or, or maybe you're in this, this category like, uh, of, of building like King Herod. It may, it may not be actual construction of, of buildings or, or infrastructures or streets or, or cities or so on. But I'm talking more along the lines of how we construct our own kingdoms. Right? Where we have no accountability, we become untouchable, and it's where we get all the glory. Right? We get all the comfort, we get all the, the glory, and they're going to remember us. They're going to remember the legacy that we leave. You see, what Jesus' birth teaches all of us, whether we're the Magi or, or Herod or both, is that these earthly kingdoms that we all, whether you're a Christian or not, it's these earthly kingdoms we all get caught up in and at times long for can only be found and fulfilled in Christ alone. Check this out. You, you might find wealth on this side of eternity, but the furthest that it's going to take you is six feet in the ground. You might create a, a platform that, that takes over AI, but one day it too will need to be updated. Or you may become Taylor Swift famous, but without Jesus, you will always seek for people's approval. That's why Jesus is quoted in John 14 where he says, I am the way, 
He says, I am the truth and I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Church family, this is the gospel. This is the gift of the Father. The gift of Jesus to us. This is how much God loves us. It's, it's, it's all found in Jesus. You see, Jesus' birth tells us the love story that God stepped through the chasm of eternity, not only to be the answer to our soul's deepest longings, but to also prevent us from building and investing too much in a perishable world. Jesus wants to tear down the kingdoms that we aspire to build on earth because, guys, we're all building on sand right now. It's all going to go away. It's all going to be renewed. It's all going to be redeemed because there's a promise of a better tomorrow, a more sturdy foundation, a rock of sorts that we can build on. And you see, and our king seals this promise by the virgin birth. Matthew 1, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Again, meaning God with us. Our king seals this promise by living a perfect and whole life. Luke 23, then Pilate said to the chief priest and to the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. You see, our king seals this promise by dying the sinner's death, the death that we all deserve. Matthew 27, check this out. As he's on the cross, over his head, they put the charges against him, which read this. This is Jesus, king of the Jews. They got the title right. And then after Jesus resurrects three days later, we're told in Matthew 28, he is not here, for he is risen. He said, come and see the place where he laid, past tense. And lastly, our king seals this promise at the ascension, where he promised his return. Acts 1, where the angel says, why are you standing here looking into the skies? You guys are looking like the Magi right now. Like this Jesus is going to come back the same way you saw him leave. And so while we wait and while we anticipate, do we want to just keep going through life, ignoring the obvious so that we can continue to try to build and sustain our own kingdoms, our own perishable kingdoms? Or this morning, are you ready to surrender and step into the presence of true royalty? I think that's the question of Christmas, right? That's the tension that, that, that we're wrestling with. And you see, that's ultimately what the, the birth of Jesus has done in both Herod and the wise men's lives. They come up to this crossroads, these, these, these crossroads, and, and the way that each of them respond. Again, it couldn't be more opposite. We start with King Herod. He responds with, with rejecting Jesus. And we know that because he, he, he created this decree to kill, kill all male children two years old and under in this desperate attempt to save what's left of his kingdom. And this is why Mary and Joseph and, and Jesus, this is why they all have to relocate to Egypt. Whereas our wise men, they respond by receiving God's revelation. They respond with joy. They respond with worship. And they take it even a step further. They even offer up all their treasures to this young family because they realize none of this matters anymore because of what's in front of us. You see, their generosity, it represents God's provision and generosity. It represents God's love for his creation. And so they offer up gold, which speaks to Jesus' divine nature and righteousness. Gold represents royalty. 
as well as it's going to help this young family, especially as they're going to have to leave everything to get to Egypt. They offer up frankincense, which is this resin used in, in ceremony, uh, ceremony for the um, only incense permitted on the altar. And it's suggesting that this, this fragrance of Jesus' perfect life and his atoning death. And then the myrrh is the sap or this incense. It's a strong perfume that's typically used to, to mask dead bodies, which speaks to this young child. It's alluding to his upcoming death. You see, these, these wise men would have understood the financial value of these offerings to this, this young family, but what they wouldn't have a clue to is the symbolic significance that these gifts show us now. And so this Christmas, what are some gifts that we can offer back up to our king? Right? Once, once God removes the scales from our eyes and, and we can really, we, we can now see, we can now recognize who Christ our king is, guys, just like this tension that Herod or the wise men have, have run into, like, like it demands a response. Will you receive the Father's love? Will you receive the Father's gift of this infant baby, the Savior of the world? Or like King Herod, will you reject it? You see, receiving is what the wise men do. That's what we see. And guys, they didn't bring presents to just earn favor or merit. They opened up their treasures and their lives. It was out of adoration and worship. And so what are some of the ways that we can offer up worship to our king, right? Out of our adoration, out of our worship. What are we willing to give up? It may mean for us this Christmas season prior, prioritizing people over presents, right? Keeping the main thing the main thing. This could be just like circling your family up before you like dig into Christmas morning and just like, like really help and set the stage of what this means, and the true gift that Jesus is, the greatest gift that any of us could ever receive. This could be as easy as financial giving to the church. Again, sometimes we overextend ourselves during Christmas season, right? We spend our monies elsewhere and we forget about our partnership covenant with our church family. I would say just check that up, consider that. Or another, another way that we can just offer up our, our love and our sacrifice, our worship back to God is, is just small gestures and, and loving and serving our neighbors or our, our communities or, or joining in with nonprofits to, to serve underprivileged people. There's multiple ways to offer up our worship. Multiple ways. And so just like the wise men who were able to count all the costs that they offered up, Guys, anything that we do or anything that we offer up, like we're going to have a pretty good idea of the value of gifts. Like anytime I go grocery shopping with my wife, it just makes me cringe because I'm like, man, I'm counting. I'm like, this is going to be a lot of money. And it just seems like it's going up and up and up, right? We're going to be able to have an idea of, of the value, whether it's our time, our finances, or whatever the case is. But remember, just like the wise men didn't have a clue about the significance, the symbolic significance of their offerings, Guys, we don't have a clue just how far God is willing to take the gifts we offer up and use them. We don't have a clue. Speaking of symbolism, I want to end with this. It's, it's our Advent connection here. These wise men, their gifts can also be found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 60. This is one of my favorite Advent connections. 
It's where the prophet tells of a day when the people of God will come in droves, full of excitement, bringing the wealth of the nations. And it says, they shall bring gold and frankincense, and they shall bring good news, praises to the Lord. Notice, as the people of God are gathering, like the Magi, they bring gold and they bring frankincense, but Isaiah doesn't mention any myrrh. In fact, myrrh is is actually replaced with good news, and it's because there's no need for it. What Isaiah is alluding to is not the first coming of Jesus. He's already paid the debt. That's what we needed myrrh for. He's talking about the second coming. And that day is going to be a great day. Would you pray with me? Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. God, we thank you for your love poured out, displayed through giving us really something none of us deserve. God, help us see and receive the good news of Jesus, the gift that he really is. Let not this this story of Christmas, the real true story of Christmas, let it not just be like a sidebar uh, lost in in the margins of our everyday lives, but God, let it be central. Let it be our center. Let it be our focus. Let everything flow from there. Check our hearts. Check our motives. God, we praise you for coming to rescue us. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.